Hello, and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 189. I'm Kip Clark, and joining me in the studio today, we have another guest, Callum Melrose. Hi, Kip. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Well, the pleasure is mine, and I'm really looking forward to talking with you about millennial communities. You and I are both in our 20s, and you brought this topic up to me after I had requested that we record together at some point, because we've had great conversations. And to you, I would then ask, where would you like to begin? I think I want to start where some of my inspirations come from. It's how we first met through our dodgeball league. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of different sports leagues in Boston and actually have met and networked and pretty much made my whole group of friends through these sports leagues doing soccer, dodgeball, as well as run club. And I've really started to create a network and a community of people and engaged and learned about other people's experiences and everything that's going on around me. But through my own observations, I've noticed that this has become my only outlet. And I've kind of been really curious about how other communities are forming because this is an organized, structured way that us millennials are starting to network and introduce one another. And it's a really interesting thought because I wonder if it was different in different generations. I wonder if now it's becoming a little bit more structured and not necessarily sort of these free-flowing communities where we're actually just being very candid, you know, meeting our neighbors next door or going to the park and engaging with people there kind of more spontaneously. And this is what really sort of brought to my attention why this needed to be discussed tonight and some really interesting thoughts that I hope we can share together. To me, sports leagues bring up an interesting concept because that is how we met playing dodgeball together. And I've worked on a theory in preparing for this episode that shared experiences are some of the best ways to develop a sense of community. Obviously, community, depending on how you look at it, could really just be a network of friendships and connections. You can develop single or limited numbers of friendships by sharing experiences, and if you'd like to develop a community, you might consider multiplying the number of people participating in that same activity, and eventually you'll have a large enough group, whether that's 30 people or 50 people. I think the definition really depends on how any specific person defines community. But what intrigues me about sports, not all that dissimilar from war or other forms of human conflict, whether serious or fabricated, is that we are, in many ways, whether we want to admit it or not, rooted in a lot of tribal behavior, where we identify an us and a them. And while I'm not a fan of that behavior because I've seen the downsides and I've seen the outcomes of conflict and even long-lasting conflict all over the world, both in the present and historically, I can't deny, as someone who's been on various teams for different sports or groups in my life, the sense of solidarity you feel not only in being on a team, but especially in the context of a sport, when a group of individuals accomplishes a unified task, especially without verbally communicating it, there's something profound and beautiful about that to me. And I think in a lot of ways, that's one of our current conflicts as a generation. And of course, I say that with an asterisk. There are millions of millennials, and we are all doing a lot of different things, and we don't all use the same technology or resources. So we're not this monotone block that behaves in very limited ways. We are, like all human beings, I believe, different from one another in our own ways. 
But I think our needs, like those of any previous generation, are very similar. We have physical needs to sustain our bodies and our ability to survive and often care for those we love in biological ways. But we are, of course, as has been said, for millennia, social beings. And what strikes me in this topic of yours is that we might be failing in our social needs and that we as millennials, though not to be apocalyptic, are not finding the proper resources to satisfy those needs that we have. You touched on a few different things with what you're talking about, with it being very tribal and almost evolutionary in a sense. We as human beings do need that sense of community. I've read and heard that we form tribes around 100 people or 250 people, somewhere in that range. So when we start networking out, we start meeting other people, we start creating what I would call almost a pseudo-community and not in the traditional sense, right? Because you think of a community in the traditional sense, maybe like an Irish Catholic neighborhood in the early 1900s from a previous generation where we became siloed as individuals and we sort of formed our group identity being able to do that. And so it's really interesting when you think about how we're now forming groups almost as individuals and not just as a group as a whole. It's this weird sort of state, right? You don't know what to make of it. And I've had this conversation with some of my other friends where we've discussed the fact that we don't even know who our neighbors are, right? Because we're moving to these neighborhoods in these areas. Kip, for example, Somerville, which is a suburb of Boston just outside the city, a lot of people are moving to certain neighborhoods, specifically myself, where I'm in one neighborhood because I found a cheaper place to live. And then other people are doing the similar things that nothing's really bringing us together. I think as human beings, getting back to your point and what I had touched upon a little bit ago was that we are formed as groups and very tribal and evolutionary. We need this sense of belonging. We need that ability to actually be able to come together as a community. So the question now becomes, how do we actually form communities? One of the ways that you do that is by joining the sports league, right, where you can actually network and they have other events going on. And so the interesting point is, does that become the only way now that you can actually meet other people? I actually look at myself and look at the ways that I've met other people. And it's actually all been through sports leagues and friends of friends of the friends that I've made through the sports leagues. And I wonder, how would I do it differently? How would I actually be able to form this type of network without that outlet there? Would I just become lonely and, and not very outgoing and very social? I don't think I would do that because of my own nature as a human being and my extroverted personality. And so it's really interesting to think about this because what would you do? There are so many points you brought up that I'm really excited to dig into, one specifically being this nod to neighbors, the people that live around us, who traditionally would be people that you would know around the holidays, maybe at block parties during the summer, or even when moving in, neighbors in neighborhoods in areas around the globe have been a source of companionship, whether it is loose or more tightly knit. But, as I concur with you, in a lot of my recent experiences, now living in an apartment with a handful of roommates who are also in their 20s, there's not a lot of cross-pollination between neighbors, people who live mere feet away from you. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. 
cultures do change and shift, but I had a really interesting experience on Halloween afternoon of 2017. I was taking some items out of my car, which is parked right in front of my apartment, and as I was bringing in some items, I saw one of my neighbors across the street putting up some spiderweb decorations on the fence and bushes in front of her house, and I had moved into this apartment at the beginning of October, so we hadn't met yet, and that's also an element of this conversation that I'm aware of. I tend to be very eager to meet new people, and I know that's not true of everyone, so I'm aware of that bias and differentiation, and even there, there are times where I am very introverted and don't want to meet new people. But, in this case, I crossed the street and offered to help her put up these decorations, and she said yes, so we began chatting and getting to know one another a little bit, and interestingly, we were later joined by an older neighbor who lives across the street from me, and the three of us began talking. And this older neighbor knew all of the people in the neighborhood and whether or not they would be trick-or-treating with their children later that night on Halloween, which I found fascinating because, in my mind, knowing your neighbors, though not something I'm opposed to, is not a common idea in cultures I've grown up in, whether that is the northeast of the U.S. or millennials or even urban environments. But with the latter, I'm especially stunned because you live so close to other people, I almost think it would be natural to get to know them. However, on the other hand, I can see people needing their space. And so perhaps the closer you live to others, the more claustrophobic you feel. And maybe you have this perception that you need space rather than community. And perhaps those two things aren't mutually opposed. But in thinking about millennial communities, or perhaps as this topic might suggest, our discomfort or inability at times with forming communities in our generation, I think it's worth considering what the opposite is. What does that void look like if we choose not to, or fail to, create communities within our generation? I think what happens is we create that tension where we need the community, we need to go out and meet other people, but at the same time we need our alone time and we need it to actually just be able to reflect on ourselves and figure out where we are in life. So it's this weird state where you want to go out and meet people, but at the same time you want to be alone. And so how do you fill that void? And I think one of the simplest ways to do that is balance, of course, but also just being able to know your boundaries and be able to actually take a step back and figure out where you are because you need to be able to form your own singular identity, but also be a part of groups and have that group identity. It's weird though, because getting back to my initial point where we're like siloed individuals, it's almost like we're square pegs and round holes because we're not actually able to attune to the more isolated lifestyle of our generation, right, where we have technology that makes it easy to connect with as many people, but we've never felt more lonely. And these are issues that are talked about all the time. I think what's interesting for the conversation that we're having right now is the fact that we found out about this league through the internet, and we actually met face-to-face and created a common bond over that. I wonder if we don't have that innate ability anymore because it's become so difficult. We're living in all these different neighborhoods and we're not coming together, right? But I wonder what else there is. And one of the top things that comes to my mind is just going to a bar, meeting people out, maybe a trivia night. But even that has its limitations because that's predicated on the context 
that there is alcohol, there's a little less of a genuineness to it. So that's another way that you could potentially meet other people and create your own sense of community. However, with the drawbacks, then okay, what is another genuine way to meet somebody else? I would argue that the way that we met was very genuine, even though it might have transpired through a little bit less of a genuine sense where it was an organized league as opposed to us just both showing up at a dodgeball court out of our own sheer need to be able to socially network with one another. So I would postulate this question, and that would be, if we all lived in the same neighborhood in close proximity to one another, and we're all in the ages of 22 to 35, which is roughly what a millennial is, would things be different? Would we not be living in different neighborhoods on the other sides of the city, having to use these social leagues to actually come together and form a community? And I wonder if things would be a little bit different. And I wonder if we would have that stereotype like what was personified with the TV show in the 90s, Friends, which I think gave everybody this idea that we were going to actually just form friend groups with the people around us in close proximity. And the reality is that's just not the case. It was wise of you to bring up friends because media portrayals are very interesting in speaking to what a culture feels should happen or what it idealizes in a certain scenario. Because I've actually reconnected with a number of high school teachers I really admired who made a great difference in my life and have sat down with a few of them or corresponded via email. And a number of them said how much they hated being 22, 23, and 24 just out of college trying to figure out life. And a lot of their descriptions, as they are a generation removed from you and I, sound like they were more based in career uncertainty than the communal or social uncertainty that you and I are describing. But what I find fascinating about Friends is that many of the characters had existing relationships prior to the beginning of the show. And for listeners who haven't seen the show before, there are six characters who are very close friends. Ross and Monica are brother and sister. Rachel attended their high school. Ross had a crush on Rachel, so there's already a relationship there. And Rachel was close friends with Monica. So the three of them were close before entering their 20s. Ross had a best friend in college named Chandler. So Chandler now has a reason to be a part of this group. Chandler's roommate Joey also has a reason to be connected to this group. And finally, there's Phoebe who is less connected to other characters, and I bring her up because she references that within the show when there are disputes and some fights. And I find it fascinating because I think a lot of us in our 20s or at other points in life feel that tension, that if we aren't secure in a number of different relationships, our role within a community is at risk and almost seems unstable, that it might potentially collapse and we would lose the entire community. And Friends is also a useful lens at revealing that millennial concerns in our young adulthood are not all that different from the fictitious characters within Friends who may indeed represent real-world concerns like what career you might have and whether or not you're in a satisfying relationship, be that physically, emotionally, or on other levels? Are you pursuing your passions? Do other people respect the things you want to do in your free time? A lot of that is explored within Friends and other sitcoms, I'm sure. And to come back to our initial point of meeting one another, it was via a sports league, 
And I don't consider myself to be a terribly athletic person. I'm certainly willing to play sports, and I enjoy several. But what I find fascinating is that different communities can have different social membership fees, in a sense. For certain athletic leagues at a higher level, if you're not skilled enough, you may be allowed to play, but your teammates might not appreciate your participation or contributions to the team. You had mentioned meeting at a bar, but for people who either don't drink alcohol or don't enjoy the environment of a bar for one reason or another, they might feel excluded or less than interested in those spaces. I'm personally a fan of board games, but I know that many board games have complex rule sets or a really long engagement time for anyone willing to dedicate hours in some cases. And so what I think is so fascinating is that we all need communities regardless of age, but there appear to be some proving grounds for some communities. Demonstrate to me that you care about X, Y, or Z, and then we can begin getting to know one another as people. And that's not wrong per se, but I will rather passionately plant my foot and argue that humanity, in my perception, should come first, because a lot of the skills and other passions we learn, I think, embellish and add to our underlying human qualities rather than reveal them. I think we are human before some of the passions or interests that we have. And when I say human, I know that's a vague term, I suppose I'm talking about the fact that we all have certain needs, and we all are, in one way or another, vulnerable. And to me, that's a relatable point. What are the things that make you feel uneasy? Can we commiserate about them? Can I comfort you about your vulnerabilities through humor or compassionate listening? That's how I would contend some great communities could be formed. Maybe that's idealistic of me, but that is how I would approach things if I had more social influence. Yeah, you touched upon something that we had talked about earlier, which is the evolutionary tribal forming. And I had talked about and elaborated on a little bit more where you actually have to prove yourself in order to join the community. And I wonder as millennials where we have that stereotype of us being special snowflakes, I wonder if the ability to include all just based on a fee is enough to actually adhere to the tribal needs of ourselves to actually have a proving ground to get into the community because it's something that we're all longing for and it's something that we all want, right? But it's how do we get it? I think one, you're actually bringing people closer together to form a new community. One of the things I would add to what you talked about was the addition of a cause. You have to have a cause in order to get people together. And so what does that cause become or what is that cause when we're like these siloed individuals that don't have a sense of belonging? Maybe the cause could be something as simple as, hey, we're not forming a community, which might sound a little ridiculous. But with the context of what we talked about and the fact that we're not actually talking to the people that we live in close proximity to, this becomes a serious problem and there may be an actual solution to it because now you can actually bring people closer together. And so with what you elaborated on with friends and having the sort of social network be a more genuine one where people were friends from previous lives, I think that's actually how people form their social networks if they don't need to actually go out and join a sports league or do something else extracurricular like that. You just kind of stay friends with the same people you have been friends with since high school or that you made in college, and then you form groups around that. 
However, with our ability to be able to travel and go move to other cities because we're so free and because technology has made it that case, now what we're finding is that there's an actual void. There's a need for this. And so are sports leagues enough? I don't know. And I don't think so. I think we need something more of a cause because of our tribal, more evolutionary aspects to us. And we need the more grassroots types of friends that we've made in previous lives, like in high school or college. So we need all these different things because we've become so complex as human beings. There's a very interesting intersection of earlier phases in our lives, be it high school, college, or even a hometown environment, and this shared cause that you bring up. I would even add it could be a shared cause or goal. And I think one of the reasons that socializing in younger years can be easier, granted it isn't for everyone, and I won't make that generalization, you're going through high school and many people apply to or consider college. That is a shared stress and even a sense of optimism if you're excited about where you'll go to school. These are shared causes and goals. You might even have the same teachers or the same sports teams or the same extracurricular activities after school. But once you graduate college, or if you didn't attend college, enter early adulthood, that level of independence is beautiful to an extent, but means that there are now millions of people your age with similarly numerous goals and objectives. You might now have a full-time job, but some people prioritize relationships or an artistic career on the side. And that's not to say there couldn't be diverse goals in younger years, but I think as the metaphorical trees that our people grow up, they have more branches. They literally expand outward with more time and differentiate from one another as a result. The idea that people can come together as a community through a goal is something that's really important to bring up. Because when you think of a cause, I think the connotation of a cause is that it's this sort of political movement. It's this sort of injustice that's happening to our generation and we need to do something about it. And it has this very political element to it. But it doesn't have to be that way. It can be just a common goal. And it could be just something as simple as the ability to be able to spread your branches and be able to do multiple things at once and be able to prioritize things. And I think a community can really help foster that. And I think that's something we've really lost here because we've been able to spread our branches so far and wide that the depth of us actually trying to do so many different things at once has become shallower. And because we're trying to do so many different things at once, whether it be a dating relationship or being able to be successful at your career, this leads people to actually become less successful at what they're doing because they're spreading their branches so far. And I wonder if because we're not actually communicating with the people next to us and we're not fostering those relationships, friends really touched upon something that our generation doesn't have because we're siloed. And getting back to that point, I wonder if that was actually taken care of because we actually did foster those relationships with people close to us in close proximity, that now that's another thing that we have to do. That's another checkbox. And that only adds fuel to the fire of having to spread our branches a lot farther and be able to do multiple things at once in a more shallow method instead of being able to excel at one thing or two things and being able to prioritize different things in our life. And again, it's getting back to that point that we need the community to be able to foster that growth and we need the community to help us be able to prioritize what we need. 
Is it just this mythical thing that oversees everything? Is it the people around us? Is it a little bit of both? Is it the sports leagues that we're doing? Is it the people that live right next to us? I don't know. And these are really tough questions to answer because I think we're living in it right now because so much has changed in the last five to 10 years, even with the internet and the ability to be able to move to different areas and become an individualized silo. I love your exploration of this branches idea because I do think there are a lot of people who may have spread their branches too thin. And I would point to, as a possible culprit, there could be many, the resume culture, which I think affects a lot of us in applying to colleges or, as many of us, if not all of us will do, applying to and hopefully getting jobs I know a lot of employers who look to you to be bilingual, to have skills on social media, potentially social media analytics. You should also know how to code and probably how to use cloud software to store and share data and various other diverse skills, many of which are technical, that it takes time to develop an expertise in. And I think that culture, though it's not necessarily tied to community building, affects how people see themselves. And I don't think it's a far leap to say that as individuals are young and learning how to be professionals, they're applying some of those mindsets to the ways they socialize with other people. And I had this thought while you were talking about spreading branches too thin, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a large quantity or proportion of people our age who have tried out different activities, not because they have any interest in them, but because they are so eager, perhaps in some cases desperate, I've certainly been there, to make friends that they will do anything. And I'm of two minds on that. On one hand, I think at every phase in your life, you should be trying new things. Life on Earth offers so many different opportunities. I hope everyone has a chance to explore thoroughly. But on the other hand, I wonder, if you know you don't like something, is it insincere? Are you being false in some capacity for doing something with one motive, but perhaps appearing as though your interest is in the activity itself and not in the people? What I've loved about the sports leagues you and I are a part of is that I have enjoyed the sports, and if I make friends, I see that as an added bonus. And I won't reject friendship, but I'm also open to just playing sports once a week with people that I'm gradually getting to know. And another term that we've used is siloed. And I love it because I do think it is how many of us feel. I've certainly felt very isolated from people that, on so many levels, are probably very similar to me, but I don't sense a real connection there. And I often wonder, what's the root cause there? But I'm optimistic that if we are all siloed, silos can still be parallel. And there's a lot that can relate or connect silos, even if they, of course, in this case, not sentient objects, don't know the similarities that they share with other silos. And I do think the beautiful part about being human is that you could live for 70 years of your life, or a lower number, we'll say 45, never meeting someone from another country who was born on the same day, shares the same interest in sports teams, maybe politics or entertainment like movies and music, and one day, when you meet, having previously not been connected, in a sense, siloed from one another, you can still relate to one another. You can still find reason for connection because you did things separately that were still similar or identical. 
And so I am optimistic, as I may not have sounded throughout this conversation, that there's never an expiration date for community. You can always find new reasons and new means of connecting with other people, especially if our generation is struggling as so many analysts and experts seem to indicate. Well, 20 years down the line, we'll all have some war stories about what we all went through, what we're currently going through, because they are shared experiences, whether miserable or positive. This leads me back to your point about shared causes, and I think that's one of the best ways to build a community, which points to, I would contend, things beyond our control. Perhaps the real insight of this conversation is that most communities might be built by environmental factors that we don't get to choose, things that are determined before we're even born, whether that's the state of the economy, the families we're born into, or, in a more geographic sense, the countries into which we are born. Where we are as young adults adjusting to the real world, we want to go out, we want to try a bunch of different new things because we're forming our own identities. We're still so early on in our lives that we haven't really become the people that we're going to become yet. And touching upon your point where you were talking about, okay, should I try out all these different things or should I stop trying all these things because it's insincere? I tend to agree more with the latter. And that's because I think as you form your identity and you start creating what I'll call a shell that starts to become a little bit tougher and it starts to become a little bit more rigid in a good way, where you start to form a sense of identity. As we get older and we have more experiences, I think what will start happening is people will start to create more depth in their actual experiences instead of just doing a bunch of different things at once. And I think we'll start to learn as we become more autonomous adults what actually is a good experience and what has more depth and sincerity to it. And we won't just start trying everything out at once. We'll just start doing the things that make us who we are. It's only through our experiences that we actually form our identities. And I think the community really helps foster that, that growth. What I'd call the shell, which starts to strengthen over time and really starts to form who we are. And before we conclude this episode, what would you like the audience to think about after listening to our discussion? I'd really like the audience to think about where they are right now, what their community is right now, and then trying to find their own community because we're given so much autonomy and freedom to be able to actually do this, but we don't know how to actually do it. So you have to go out there and start doing a bunch of different activities at once and you'll start to develop the ones that you actually like and start to form your own identity and those activities will have depth and the whole idea is that a community will help foster that growth. So you have to go out and find your own community because in our generation, what I've concluded is that it's not very clear what that community is because we have to define it for ourselves. And I'd be curious on that point of community and identity to hear where listeners think the balance falls. Because from my vantage point, community is a need we each have, but so is identity. You have to know where you fall if others aren't around, just as much as we need to feel a sense of belonging. And of course, between and among individuals, these needs vary in their proportions. Also, because this was a conversation largely about generational community, if you are not a millennial, how do you feel about this topic? And certainly for millennial listeners, do you find any of this to ring true? Do you disagree? What would you add to this conversation? 
Of course, Callum, I'd like to thank you very much for being on. It was a pleasure to discuss this with you, and I appreciate your thoughts here. Kip, this was a great conversation where we really delved into a lot of different topics that I think really need to be discussed. And because of our shared bond, this is what really made this conversation great because I think we were able to offer a lot of value to the listeners from two people that have met through a maybe not so normal, typical way and formed a genuine friendship. I concur. And I'm confident our experiences lent a certain degree of authenticity to the dialogue. But as ever, we want this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between. Ours are only two voices, and especially within a generation, two among millions. So if you have any opinions, feedback, or thoughts of any kind, please reach out to us. You can find us on Twitter or on Facebook. You can also email us via strideandsaunter at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to as well as sharing the show with someone you think might enjoy it and supporting us on Patreon, where in exchange for your support, you'll receive exclusive bonus episodes. And as always, we thank you very much for listening. And from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off.